this episode of China Unscripted, will China pressure Elon Musk over Twitter? Is Beijing going under lockdown? And when will Americans get it on China? Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chang. And I'm Matt Ganesha. And it's just going to be us today. So, uh, you know, we'll have uh, some thrilling conversations about all things China. And of course, the big China, the big story this week has been... You're finally back? Uh, yes, I am back. I wasn't going to say that. Okay. But... I thought that's where you were going. No, that, that's, no. That's the big story for me, Chris. That's oh. the big story for me, too. Yeah. What was it like uh, hosting uh, the shows for about two weeks between the two of you guys? Exhausting? Yeah, it was actually really hard. Uh, exhausting, I think is the word. So does that yeah. mean you guys are no longer going to try to undermine and overthrow me? Yeah, my like or, seven year plan to undermine you, like that's totally out the window I now. I never tried to undermine or overthrow you. Oh, uh, you, like, you knew. Oh, about what? That it's it's a lot of work done. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I have no illusions about that. The last episode I recorded because of where the camera was, I was, the stool had to be really high since I'm much shorter than you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like trying to record this episode as I'm slowly falling off the front of the stool. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that was fun. Yes, despite what you may see uh, right now that Shelly and I are kind of a similar height, that's just magic. My chair is like yes. so much lower. Also, I have a short torso. My height is mostly in my legs. It makes squats difficult, but deadlifts easy. Hmm. Interesting. So, China news. Yes, the big news this week, I bought Twitter. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> you, uh, with Elon Musk as your front man, bought uh, Twitter. Well, have you ever seen the two of us in the same room at the same time? No, I, I have to say I have never seen what? the two of you no. in the same Yeah. Who knows what that could mean? That's all I'm saying. That we're not famous enough to hang out with Elon Musk? Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> Uh, yes, Elon Musk has bought Twitter. Uh, do you think that will make it more or less of a dumpster fire? I I feel like there's no, I mean, not there's no way, but it's such a dumpster fire. At like, least in the short term, it has become more of a dumpster fire. Like Twitter has been awful this week. It's like Twitter's been going downhill for a little while. And I think- Years. Yeah, but there- this is this is the second big shift. Like there was a big shift after uh, Donald Trump was kicked off, and a lot of people in that camp left Twitter. No, there's a big and shift. This is not. This is like the fifth big shift. Okay, but then like, Shelley is th the Twitter expert. This is people now on the other side. They're like, oh, I'm going to leave Twitter now that Elon Musk is because people think I, he's... are they going to? Because that's kind of. I feel like it's kind of the whole. People are going to move to Canada if Donald Trump won. Uh -huh. Didn't Miley Cyrus say that? Did she ever move to Canada? I don't know if anybody who said they moved, wanted to move to Canada moved to Canada. Yeah. But I didn't hear about any Canadian border crisis, at least. <laughs> but the yeah, the I remember back in the day, Twitter was like, you ha could have nice conversations with people. You know what I mean? This must you have could, been before I was on Twitter. Yeah, you could you could have, you know, you felt like it was a collegiate, especially because I was doing mostly China watcher twitter mm -hmm. at first it, i felt like it was really friendly and you could you know connect with people and make with similar interests yeah and then you could both make fun of xi jinping together and all this stuff and it was nice and then it just started to 
factionalized like everything the else echo on chamber. T- like everything else on twitter the people started to get mad at each other for different things and then mm-hmm. you know people would have long twitter rants about other people and then people started subtweeting other people and it just became so terrible that i was like you know i can't really be on twitter anymore yeah it's like if you have a different a difference of opinion it's because the other person must be evil at this point it's like why do we think that it's okay to have a conversation in a certain way on Twitter that we would never have with other human beings face to face. You're right. I need to make my everyday conversations more like Twitter. That's not what I meant. Well, Matt, if you that's not what you meant, you should set it more clearly. Yeah, Matt, <laughs> you far-right fascist racist piece of garbage. <laughs> blocked <laughs> no Matt on Twitter you only can cry on the inside no. yeah it's it's just oh it's so oh. I, I basically also noticed myself getting angrier being on Twitter mm. did you notice this that where you kind of react oh Shelly I'm always angry oh yes there you go <laughs> but yeah you kind of react or it basically encourages you to be especially snarky or something mm-hmm. like that to have an attitude to that's what gets likes and that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's it, the thing about the internet. I feel like, you know, as promises like, Hey, you know, you can communicate with anyone anywhere in the world. It'll bring humanity together. Blah, blah, blah. Really just seems to make us all worse. It, except it, for me. It was so bad. Now I mostly just retweet other people because I'm like, well, I got to be on Twitter to find some things, right? To see some news. Yeah. Well, it's but, been very valuable. Uh, like, for example, with the recent lockdown in Shanghai, like a lot of uh, footage uh, from what's going on inside of China, like you can get it on Twitter. Yeah, because I am not installing WeChat on my phone. No. But yeah, so there's there's advantages to it. But I think if you spend too long on it, um, it basically makes your life so much worse. In a way, it's like a gremlin. You know, it's nice and cuddly and cute at first, but then you start to feed it too much, gets wet, and then it becomes a horrible monster that just keeps expanding. I just watched Gremlins 2 for the first time recently, so it's on my mind. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic movie. I've never watched any of the 10 Gremlins out of 10, movie. cannot okay. recommend it enough. Okay, yeah. That's what you did when you were on your time off, right? Watched Gremlins. I watched Gremlins 2, yeah. and I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Well, so do you think Elon Musk will make it better? Like, I, I kind of see, like, there's basically two camps, like, people who are like, oh, yeah, Elon Musk is going to, you know, make it a free speech platform again, or people saying, like, oh, this is, you know, racist, white power, alt-right, blah, Of course, blah, blah, blah. those are the two, only two answers. Yeah, it seems that way. But, it, like, it seems to me, like, we have no idea how he's going to operate He hasn't Twitter. even bought it yet, technically. Like, the, it hasn't happened. It's going to take months. For and it's it. like everyone has such a strong opinion when it's like, really? Like, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows what um, it'll the, be like? The internet doesn't like to wait and see. The internet likes to jump React to conclusions. React immediately. Yeah. Exactly, exactly what Twitter is for. all a bunch of reactionaries. I, yeah. I remember, for example, when that video of the, what was that Catholic school? Covington Catholic. Yes. Like, that video was on Twitter. And I... There's somebody I follow who's a China journalist retweeted it and was like, this is outrageous. And I was going to retweet it. And then I was like, wait a minute. So uh-huh. I stopped myself and I was like, I actually don't know what's going on in this video. 
it starts in the middle. <laughs> I, mean, I just didn't do anything about mm-hmm. it. And then later I was like, oh, well, I mean. It yeah. ended up being yeah. something much different. Yeah. So you, that's the thing. It's very, even some of the Shanghai videos that were coming out, um, there were a couple mm. where I put something in the, um, like one of our episodes because I was like, oh, I think this has been validated. Like I saw it in several different sources, but a lot of these videos you can't, find the original context so you kind of have to like try to find as many people confirming that this is the original mm-hmm. context as possible and in a couple of those cases it was not true like there was the one where someone was like you know this is this is footage of people in shanghai committing suicide under lockdown it's like a bunch of clips of people jumping off buildings and it was just, just a collection a... of suicide videos it had nothing to do with the shanghai lockdown First of all, it's a little disturbing that someone has collected a collection of suicide videos of people, you know. What do you do in your free time? <laughs> uh, not that, apparently. Oh. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, or there was a video I found of somebody um, just losing it and kind of calmly smashing every single window of the security guard's like little booth outside his apartment building because they wouldn't let him in. And it turned out to not be from Shanghai. It was from another city. And so it was just like, you you think that this is what you're seeing, but you can't necessarily be 100% sure this is what the context is. It's a little tricky. Yeah. And you know what's going to be crazy? Like five to 10 years from now when the technology to do deep fakes is extremely user-friendly, like you can already do deep fakes that are very convincing, but you know, and like there, there's apps that have, you know, kind of like funny deep fake things you can use to like make, you know, I saw this video, you know, like Xi Jinping singing like a pop song, but like you can tell it's fake. At some point, at people some point, on Twitter kept sending me, a lot of Indians on Twitter kept sending me deep fakes of Xi Jinping's face on like, attractive Bollywood dancer girls in movies. Like they would just put Xi Jinping's face right. on all of the dancers. But like so the, the people who are doing this are not like technically skilled people necessarily. There are software that allows you to do that, yes. right? So imagine five to 10 years from now, it's like 2030. And there are apps that make any, basically any type of deep fake extremely easy. And then there's gonna be like no way to validate anything. And then people are gonna call on Twitter to try to verify whether videos are real. Do you think Twitter's gonna be around in 2040 or whatever? I said 2030, yeah. I, and I, I, I don't know, mm. right? I mean, it- Well, the Biden administration is starting a new campaign against misinformation completely unrelated to anything else that is happening on the internet right now. Yeah, it, it's, it's hard to say what the future of social media is gonna be because remember how quickly MySpace lost everything. Oh, sorry, what? MySpace. Friendster. Yeah, you know, top eight spaces. I never got past LiveJournal. Ah, got it. Well, so like the point is, and you know, if Elon Musk loses Twitter, like it's only $40 billion. Like he's worth over 270 billion. So it's not like that big a deal to him. But the internet is going to be a more, an increasingly challenging place to operate if people are still on their worst behavior. And I, I feel like the, the, the onus has to be on us to be on our best behavior, or even if not our best behavior, just like a normal human behavior 
<laughs> our best behavior. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> am I am I too idealistic to have to, to say How do you that? Pick up on that. No. Like, 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 can we just treat each other as as people? And like, if you say something mean, in the you know heat of passion, like apologize. Like, you know, just like, why can't? I I really I don't know how the internet works, do I? No. Well, if it makes you feel better, Matt, probably by the time 2030 rolls around, the global famine caused by the food shortages from the Russia-Ukraine war will have wiped out most of the population and we'll be more concerned about fighting off the cannibal tribes than arguing on Twitter. Well, they're not going to be cannibal tribes because there's going to be plenty of bugs to eat. I really don't like where this is going. And we've also- The conversation or human history? The conversation. Well, you should be concerned about human history because it's not looking good. <laughs> well, I- Okay. I see I see a bright future for humanity. Just um, that's my perspective. You know <laughs> on Elon Musk's uh Mars uh <laughs> base. No, just I th I feel like at some point people are going to be like, "Wow, the all the social media stuff and a bunch of other things are kind of turning us rotten and let's just go back to being good to each other again." But how will we dismantle systems okay, of oppression? Okay. Matt, okay. I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. So, but we, we wanted to tie this back into China, right? Well, here's the thing. I thought the Elon Musk China guy was a deep fake at first. Oh, yeah. I think uh, like we'll, we'll throw a video of that guy up on screen. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that was. The first few videos I saw of him, I'm like, is this a deep fake? It's, but no, it's like, he's just China's Elon Musk. Which makes me, this is something like I've always wondered, like like how many, really how many different faces are there in the world? Like how many people would look like any, like the three of us? How many Chris Chappell lookalikes are there? There is something about this where people have used the internet to find people who are not twins, but twins. Like people who mm -hmm. look really, really similar to each other, but they're not actually direct blood relatives. There are definitely people who think that they've seen me and didn't see me. Like they saw someone else that looked like me. Hmm. That could also be just a facial recognition problem. Yeah, I mean, but what's what's interesting with the with the Elon Musk um, lookalike is he's a Chinese guy, and Elon Musk is is not Chinese, and so he's African American. Yes, he's he's a white African American, uh, but like it just goes to show Why do you like you have to bring how, white how well it? it's because it shows how little difference there is. Between Ooh. the people of the world, I like that. Like we're we're all kind of the same, and the 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 race stuff is very emphasized. But like it's not that big of a thing, and we can all you can look alike across different races, and like we're also kind of all the same on the inside. When did Matt become the voice of like hope and optimism on the show? I have been away for too long. Uh, apparently, Chris and I need to get off Twitter. Because you don't yeah. really use I, it. <laughs> I've almost completely stopped using Twitter. Yeah. Because every time I go on Twitter, like I just feel this this anger on my screen, and I just I don't like that feeling. That really is the dividing line between the three of us. So heavy social media users, the man who is optimistic and happy. <laughs> well, I actually, like I said, I've cut down a lot. A few months ago, I bumped into another China journalist um, at the Oslo Freedom Forum. And she asked me how I was, which was, first of all, I was like, somebody's asking me how I am. Like, this is weird. And then I was like, oh, actually, I've stopped using 
Twitter. I've really cut down on my Twitter usage. It's made my life so much better. And she was like, oh, me too. And then we just bonded over, like, essentially quitting China Twitter. Wow. Yeah. And also, that was a face-to-face conversation. Those are rare. Yeah. Especially after COVID. I was also kind of weirdly nervous about it. Oh, you know, I've heard that is uh, like a thing that like, you know, after people have been under like lockdown for so long, people have had more social anxiety about like kind of getting back, like talking to people. Yeah, that was the first big event I went to post COVID essentially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, fortunately for me, I never talk to people. I just talk at people. So it hasn't really affected me. Mm. Well, good for you. What? I wasn't paying attention to you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I was praising you. Did, didn't you hear those parts? Was, you know, everything in life has like a pro and a con, like the con is that I don't hear the praise. Mm. So Elon Musk and Twitter and China. Mm-hmm. China so just waiting to, to get there. Yeah. yeah it, we really went off tam- tangent like right away. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to China Unscripted. That's right. <laughs> well, so yeah, the big controversy was like, the big controversy. There's been a million controversies. But like one of the attacks on Elon Musk buying Twitter, other than like it's, you know, a sign of white power or he's gonna, you know. Ruin it by making it transparent. Or that like, like what if he uses it to like censor politicians on one side of the aisle? Or uses it just to secretly find out information that's in your DMs. That oh, I yeah, just, I thought he was going to, but he's like announced he wants to like do encryption, like signal for DM. I mean, I'm not saying that the person who said this no, on Twitter okay. was in, well informed Well, at speaking all. of ill-informed people on Twitter, Jeff Bezos was one of the loudest voices uh, saying that, you know, hey, what, you know, Elon Musk has ties to China. What does his purchase of Twitter mean? Maybe well, he said- uh, His tweet was more like, what does, his tweet was more asking a question yeah. about it. And then it was like all the media said, like using that as the hook to be like, Jeff Bezos questions Elon Musk. Oh, yeah, I definitely saw it. it was like Jeff Bezos trolls Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. Like, yeah. Which which is ridiculous for many reasons. One, like, you know, if any, no one, like the connections that guy has to China, Jeff Bezos, that is, and the shady things he's done tower above. Just mm-hmm. having a Tesla factory and Tesla showrooms in yeah. Xinjiang and all—I mean, it's not good what Elon Musk is doing well, in China. And that is the thing: like, we should be concerned that all the billionaires have ties to China. And uh, yeah, uh, Elon Musk has also, you know, praised China's um, economy and yeah, you- for the hundred-year anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party, he praised uh, China's economic development and said, "Hey, you know, you, everyone should come and check it out." for themselves. And I think this was during COVID. Oh, the 100th anniversary was in 2021. 2020, no, 2021. 2021, oh, right. And so like, like that's, that's even makes less sense. Like how could anyone travel to China to see the prosperity? But uh, so yeah, Elon Musk definitely has a problematic relationship with China. Yeah. He's not unique in that. Though. No, 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 I mean, Jeff Bezos, Amazon's done a bunch of shitty, uh, shady. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't a swear. That was a mispronunciation. I actually meant to say shady. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I let me apologize to all the children, the little children watching this Talking Heads show about China politics. <laughs> Go on, Shelley. 
Um, of course, it would be me that accidentally swears. She was the dirty. Like, remember that time in the Hong Kong live stream? Oh, yes, yeah. I said the F word accidentally. It was, we were under a lot of pressure. And yet I managed not to swear. That's why you're the person on the show and I'm um, usually not. Yeah. Um, I remember my mom watched the live stream, the one that you swore in. Oh. Yeah. She made some comment about that to me. <laughs> about like, you know, is Shelly supposed to swear? <laughs> That would be kind of funny, though, if I was the only one who swore. But you are, though. Uh, yeah. Twice in eight years is hardly. Chris and I don't have the filthy mouth that you have, Shelley. That's right. I brush my teeth every day. So Jeff Bezos has done a lot of shady stuff in China. Like Amazon uh, has basically uh, set up a special store within their for to promote Chinese propaganda books, essentially, like Xi Jinping's books. They deleted bad reviews of Xi Jinping's book on their platform. I mean, he owns the Washington Post, who for years published China Watch, that advertising insert from state-run China Daily. So hardly clean hands. In this. Mm -hmm. Right. But but it's every every billionaire basically has ties to China. If you go down the list, right? You've got, you know, Bill Gates and not just Microsoft, which he no longer runs, but his, you know, charity stuff has a lot of vested interest in China. You've got people like Michael Dell, you know, Dell Computers has interest in China. Phil Knight from Nike has interest in China. Uh, you know, the Koch brother, well, the Koch brother singular now has his interest in China. Did like, one of them die? One of them yeah. did die. I didn't know about it, that. It, it's like, you know, Michael Bloomberg who who ran for president but also has like really heavy business. So it's every billionaire. And the interesting almost exception to that is Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook because Facebook was repeatedly denied, stopped, denied China. And every time they tried to get into China, like they were denied. So it's M Mark Zuckerberg who, you know, there's a lot of reasons to criticize him, but one of them is not really well, it's China not interests. for lack of trying. So right. I'm not sure. Right. And technically, he, Facebook does probably get hundreds of millions of dollars a year from Chinese advertisers because Chinese advertisers can advertise on Facebook. So if you lose that market, he does have some. But like, what's what's a few billion dollars when you're worth 100 billion? I don't know if it's like... I mean, a but huge he, he tried to get Facebook into China for years. Like, remember I mean, him jogging through Beijing smog? in the smog? Remember yes. him asking Xi Jinping to name his daughter? That's I mean, right. that was a, an alleged, I don't, I, allegedly Remember the photo shoot him. where he had a copy of Xi Jinping's oh, yeah. um, no, government of China? Was, that was just there for everyone to see, yes. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah, he was meeting with some Chinese official who was visiting Facebook headquarters and prominently on his desk is Xi Jinping's. I mean, that's, he was too much of a suck up. Uh, a zuck up. Oh. Yeah. Well, I get what Matt is saying. It's not like he has a gigafactory in China like uh, Elon Musk does with Tesla. And the interesting thing about Tesla is like China really pursued getting Tesla in China. They gave them tax breaks. And like it was uh, te the Tesla factory was like the first wholly owned uh, foreign company in China. Like usually there has to be like a majority share owner Chinese uh, company. So, so, so do you think that the, the Chinese Communist Party was like, you know what, we're just going to be really nice 
this time. And oh, just they be benevolent. want the technology. What? You're saying you're saying that they wanted Tesla in China so that they could steal the electric car technology and then make their own Chinese electric vehicles and inundate the global market with cheaper versions in the future? Yes. Just a side note, those uh, those very green Teslas you're all driving to save the environment, uh, most of those electric batteries are made by Chinese companies who uh, power themselves with coal, ever-increasing amounts of coal, and get a lot of their resources from child slave mines in Africa. So, yeah. Well, there, there are environmental problems with the batteries, that's for sure. But I think also it's like with electric cars, like it, it is good to have zero emissions in the cars, but it, they're not really zero emissions only because whatever you power the car with is where the emissions come. So if you're, if you're charging it on a nuclear power grid, then it's zero emissions, but it's a, a nuclear waste vehicle. If you're powering it with natural gas, then it's a you know very low pollution vehicle, but you're creating groundwater pollution where the fracking happens. If it's you know powered in on a grid that's mainly hydropower, then uh, it's zero emissions, uh, but you're also like hurting the ecosystem of your local rivers. So like there's there's no way to have that totally clean power unless it's powered by solar and wind, which themselves have some issues. But even so, like there's no grid that is powered enough by those that everyone can charge everything on those on electric and solar like that's just not where the technology is so like it's just they're not it's my point is that that while there's a lot of good I ideas about electric vehicles they're just you have to look at the whole cycle of it in an effort to uh have my conversations in real life be more like twitter so you're saying you hate the environment and just want to pollute with uh oil matt that's what you're saying? No, I, I literally, I'm Blocked. concerned about the environment. Uh, okay. So, so, so Elon Musk has Tesla factory in China. Yes. Technically that factory only produces Teslas for the Chinese market. Mm -hmm. Which is the second biggest market for Tesla. Where their grid is largely powered by coal. Just saying. Yeah. So, but that was a good rant about uh, the problems of green energy and stuff. I, I think that was. Right. And I'm not opposed to green energy. I just think we should look at the whole picture. That'll get me blocked on Twitter, which is why I'm not on Twitter. So I think Elon Musk is, on one hand, the, I, the, the question, right, is whether China, the Chinese Communist Party, could use tesla as leverage against elon musk for, on twitter right if elon musk actually succeeds in buying twitter will hypothetically the chinese communist party be able to there's just so many like there are i mean i wouldn't put them put it past them to try something uh because they do care about twitter i mean they put their they put their i don't think elon musk would just go around blocking chinese state-run media reporters from being on Twitter or whatever. I, but, I hope he wouldn't. That's some of my best entertainment. <laughs> Global Times Global tweets. Times. Oh, man, follow Global Times on Twitter. It's Yeah, so uh, I, I especially like the one where they – what was the one this week? where about they romance? Oh, yeah, they tweeted about how, you know, it was trying to be a positive story about the Shanghai lockdowns and it was like, you know, 
you should have more romance and, you know, Im imagination, inspiration in your life to get through the lockdown. And they didn't call it a lockdown. They called it, what did they call oh, it? It was some strict, unprecedented static management. Static management. Yes. Like, where do you even come up? Right. If you, the, the way to solve the do static management is to use dryer balls. Yeah, okay. Takes the static out of. Oh, the, I get it. Like dryer sheets. No, know? I also immediately got it. Yeah, I just. You just didn't think it was funny, which is. <laughs> so China cares about Twitter. I'm sure it would love to be able to influence Twitter more. Yeah, yeah. I'm... I mean, they have also jailed people for saying things on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I remember there was a story of uh, like a, a Chinese student who was studying in the U.S. and he did a tweet comparing Xi Jinping to one of the villains from Biker Mice of Mars. Put that side-by-side -side comparison up. And yeah, some so they, they, they knew he did that and he got thrown in jail for a couple of months when he went back to China, I think. Um, so yeah, China cares about Twitter. Uh, there's also the army of like uh, Chinese bots that will just spread Chinese propaganda. And that's something Twitter has been trying to fight. Mm -hmm. uh, Elon Musk, I believe, has said he will continue that. He didn't specifically say uh, Chinese Twitter bots. But I think he said spam bots. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think the question is when the Chinese Communist Party tries to influence Elon Musk with respect to Twitter, what will Elon Musk's reaction be? And this is where the personality of every billionaire is different, right? Like I think the personality of, of someone like Michael Bloomberg is to say, look, well, the business interests of my company, Bloomberg LP, selling terminals in China and getting Chinese data for global terminals is more important than Bloomberg News, which basically doesn't really make money. So of course, like the calculation is make some adjustments to the news uh, to, to maintain the I mean, we the don't China know market. that it went all the way up to Michael Bloomberg. Yeah, but uh, but there there was there was a New York Times report in 2013 that did claim that Bloomberg News was curtailing some of their China reporting. Uh, so anyway, the, the point is no, no, no. But it, that happened. I'm just saying that we don't know that it was Michael Bloomberg that made that call, right? We don't know it was yeah. him. But I'm saying that like you you have a certain personality type that is willing to to make those sacrifices. You have a certain personality type like Mark Zuckerberg who's willing to jog in the pollution in uh in beijing you know to suck up to xi jinping you that like but what's elon musk's personality type and that's my question like is he going to be the person who just be like yeah i guess twitter's not working out like throw it away because it seems like he does weird whimsical things and so he's i feel like he's much more of a wild card he tries this, to give americans flamethrowers this, this is not a defense of elon musk and it's not at all a defense of his opening up a gigafactory for Teslas in China, which is stupid. Elon Musk, if you're watching this, that was stupid. Uh, but it, it, like, I don't like, I don't know what like what he would do. You know what I mean? Like he could he could kind of do anything that that are on this range of like he could he could make public what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to him and just make it into a joke on Twitter. Like he's just kind of like a, a weird wild card like that. Well, and that's hopefully like whatever happens, uh, there will be accountability on Twitter of people like paying attention and calling calling him out if he does do something that pressures uh, that 
gives into Chinese pressure. So, but who knows? I think we should probably move on to some of our other stories because that was a lot of time on Twitter, which we've been spending too much time on we've Twitter. Been too way much too much time, time on Twitter. I apologize. It, it sucks you in, and you can never leave. All right, what's the next topic, Chris? I think the, the the next big thing is well, as of this recording, Beijing has not gone under lockdown. However, that is the big the big conversation people are having. It's like they've uh, started doing mandatory testings uh, in Beijing. There's been you know some cases, not many, but some cases, if you believe official numbers, which none of us do. And this is how it kind of began in Shanghai. There was mandatory testing, and then like oh. We got to lock down some areas and then like, oh, well, we have to lock down half the city. We'll do half the city at a time. And then like total lockdown, people are starving in their apartments. Yeah, I think I don't think Beijing is going to follow exactly that model. I think Shanghai, basically, the Chinese Communist Party is trying to be like, well, Beijing is the good child. If you know what I mean, like Beijing is better than Shanghai. It's going to do way better at the zero COVID than Shanghai did. You, Shanghai you so? messed up. Yeah, that's basically the... I mean, there's always been this thing between Beijing and Shanghai, right? Where sh people, there's like a rivalry almost. It's like New York and Washington, D.C. or something. Like No contest. Well, the idea is that Beijing is more governed, right? Because it's the center of political power. Shanghai had been the business center of China for decades. So it's about as, quote unquote, freewheeling as you can get in China. Uh, so a lot of the criticism around the Shanghai leadership was that, oh, they didn't lock down soon enough. Like they didn't, mm. they didn't lock down hard enough. If they had just clamped down immediately, they could have, you know, because Shanghai is reporting hundreds of thousands of COVID cases, which is a, a lot for the official numbers in China. So yeah. everybody was like, oh, well, if they, people from outside Shanghai were like, if they just did it the right way, because they had tried to have their own type of lockdown where they were only locking down neighborhoods mm -hmm. or like they were um, trying to pilot this new way of doing it. They even talked about letting people quarantine at home, like all this kind of stuff and seem to be pushing back against the zero COVID policy. And, you know, the message from Beijing is that that's not okay. You go, you stick to the plan. Wait, but you know? I don't understand how Beijing sees this now. If, if Shanghai has hundreds of thousands of cases and other cities have cases, the only way for Beijing to have, to actually have zero cases is to never let anyone into Beijing again. They could do that. That might not be the most unappealing thing to the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, but it's crazy. I mean, the movement, if we don't talk about just like hard lockdowns, like actually locking people inside their apartment buildings or complexes and not letting them go outside uh, or only restricting them to being within the complex, right? If you just talk about movement restrictions, there are, you know, hundreds of millions of Chinese people under movement restrictions right now. Like certain areas are not going to let people in. Certain areas mm -hmm. are not going to let people out. Yeah. That's... And, and the Communist Party has always limited the movement of Chinese people throughout the country. Like you can't, it's not like the United States where you can just casually go from one state to another. You can't go from one province to another easily. Like because there's that whole hukou system. Well, you can go there. That's not the problem. Yeah. But you can't live there easily like if you have hukou is like a is a id system essentially that tells you where you're allowed to live so if you have a rural hukou if you have a countryside hukou you cannot go live in a city um so you know that's one of the problems with 
you have all these migrant workers from around the country, and they're mostly coming from the poor countryside areas. They go to the cities to work in factories, to work in construction, and they can't technically live there. So they're reduced to kind of living in the outskirts of cities in these sometimes quasi-illegal neighborhoods. Their kids can't go to school, so often they leave the kids behind in the countryside. It's a, it's like having like a kind of a legal immigrant system, but within your own country. Yeah. And so what, my point is that the Communist Party does already try to control the movement of Chinese people. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that they would try to create a zero COVID bubble around Beijing. It just seems like... I mean, they did it for the Olympics. Yeah. And, and what happened in the Olympics bubble? Everyone had a great time and uh, the Olympics were a model for the world. And Putin didn't invade Ukraine until after the Olympics. Yeah, so very... everything was good. And how about with respect to COVID? Uh, they had some cases, but they were basically able to keep it separate from the rest of Beijing. Like literally you had people, if you were going to go work at the Olympics, you needed to be quarantined for like three to four weeks before even going inside the bubble. Right. But they still had cases in the bubble. Is yeah. What happened. But, you know, supposedly they were from people coming in from other countries to the Olympics. Yeah. Well, this is going to be an impossible situation for Beijing. And anyway, the the sort of walls around the Olympics bubble were very small compared to the walls you'd need to build around Beijing. And I don't mean necessarily physical walls, but just the barriers to entry. Like Beijing is a geographically very large and there's so many roads going in and out. Did, did we talk about on this? I don't think we talked about on the podcast, the woman who got stuck on a bridge between Beijing and another city because both sides went into lockdown while she was driving on the bridge. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, after many hours, she was able to let one side get one side to let her in. But like, that's the like that's the kind of weirdness of Chinese bureaucracy. Like, they can lock down immediately, but then if you have a edge case or something that's an exception, they can't deal with it. Yeah. Well, that's why like you've seen panic buying in Beijing as people you know they 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 have seen. Uh, on social media in China, that you know, people in Shanghai have been starving, complaining about there's no, there's no food, um, mm -hmm. and so now that's happening in China. There was that case of the uh, Chinese state-run media reporter who tweeted uh, a picture of herself at a supermarket and the shelves were empty, and she's like, "Oh, blah blah blah." She's like, "I'm buying stuff. We're all getting ready for. Yeah. We're all getting ready for the possible lockdown." And then that was deleted, and the next day she posted another photo of her at the supermarket, and the shelves were filled. And she's like, food. "I just panicked. I no one used. I over was yeah. overthinking yesterday, right?" Yeah, well, we'll put that up. Yeah, but uh, like it, it, as, a, as a reporter, you really shouldn't be thinking very much. Just let the Communist Party think for you. They make all the best decisions. Well, I, well, here's the thing. I don't know how much the ordinary people in Beijing are believing the whole line about. Well, we're not Shanghai, so it's gonna go. It's gonna go great here. You know. Yeah. Well, because the Shanghai lockdown, you know, despite the kind of you know the Beijing Shanghai kind of uh, divide. Uh, it, it was shocking that that happened in Shanghai. Like that such an economically important part of China was so completely shut down. Uh, yeah, know. I mean, that's one of the reasons the Shanghai officials at first tried to argue that they didn't need to lock the city down or they couldn't because so much of the country relies on Shanghai. Right? Yeah. That, that was actually what they said. Like, we can't go into a lockdown right now because... Well, you well, and also like these are the elites really of 
uh, Chinese society. They're not usually the ones who are getting persecuted by the party. So I mean, there are plenty of non-elite in Shanghai. That's but, true. Yeah. That's true. But I mean, this is one of the cases where it's like a, a new group of people is suffering under the Communist yeah. Party that has not. Although also, it's very uneven what happened in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. Like some people had food. Yeah. Um, some people couldn't get food for weeks. Like some people got, you know, a few packages from the government. Some people got like a dozen packages from the government. So it's like it was very unevenly distributed in terms of like how people were experiencing the lockdown. Because mm. Shanghai is 25 million people. Something They're... about distribution in <laughs> communist society. Right. Uh, Anyways, go go on. But yeah, so your, your, your experience could vary mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, and then people in Shanghai, but still I think people in Shanghai felt like they were all in it together. And then areas outside Shanghai did the thing where they were like, oh, well, like Shanghai just messed up. You know, yeah. like they, because of the way that Chinese WeChat is, it's, you only see your friends' social media posts. So a lot of people in Shanghai were seeing all of the terrible things happening in Shanghai. But if you lived, you know, somewhere else and you had no friends in Shanghai, you would not know yeah. how bad it was. Right? That, and that's a, that's the way like an authoritarian government maintains power, like to always be able to like marginalize a group and blame, you know, victim blame essentially. Like, oh yeah, it's, it's. Shanghai's problem. Don't worry, Beijing will not. But if Beijing does go into into a lockdown, kind of like this, like that'll be huge. I mean, that 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 now that really is the elite of Chinese society. Oh yeah. Well, I don't think in in Zhongnanhai they're gonna have a problem getting food or anything. But probably not. I'm sure Xi Jinping won't. Uh, yeah. Won't go but hungry. the it is true in Shanghai that a lot of people, like you're saying, Chris, experience this in a way that they never had before. The question is. When it's over, are they going to remember what happened? You know, are they going to kind of just rationalize it? Like, it was a hard month, but it was worth it. Or I, are they going to... I feel like there's a lot of parallels between the U.S. and China and what you're just saying. Oh. Well, also, like, in, in, in any disaster, uh, the wealthy fare better than the poor. But that's, like, that's just a factor of having money. And that's what people do with their money. They spend it on things that that um, buffer them from like the worst situations. But I, and so, yeah. but like it's it's somewhat exacerbated in this disaster because like if you live in Shanghai, but you have like a large apartment with a balcony, you know, you're gonna have a much less bad lockdown experience than someone who's in a small like studio apartment with like three other people Yes. Right? Although the one thing is that people still had a hard time getting food. Even right. if you were well off, you had a hard time getting food. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and if that is the case, really, like, then you're in big trouble. But, you know, uh, I think we'll see because there also depends on how much people believe the post-lockdown propaganda. Like, yes, it was bad, but it would have it would have been so much worse had we not locked down. And of course, it's very hard to refute that because they're not doing like, you know, a, a controlled study on this. So you, you can't like, you either believe the government's perspective or propaganda that this was the best possible thing we could have done, or you don't believe it. Yeah. I think they overshot a little bit when they started all the propaganda about how we have to stick with zero COVID because we care about the vulnerable. 
Like, did you see these Xinhua articles and stuff this. like that? It was, they were like, well, China is sticking with zero COVID because we're protecting the most vulnerable people in our society. You know. The Communist Party cares about protecting the most vulnerable. On the other hand, like you have leaders. people literally keeping a, people in Shanghai started keeping a log of everybody who had died during the lockdown. And a lot of people died um, through not being able to go to the hospital because they mm. wouldn't let them out. Uh, so, you know, people with um, kidney failure who needed dialysis, who couldn't get dialysis, people with cancer, people with heart problems, like there were dozens of these kinds of stories of people who are elderly and needed to go to the hospital and weren't allowed out to go to the hospital. Um, There's scandals where, and this is another place where it kind of sounds like the things that happened in New York, um, people in like elderly care facilities, um, nursing homes, hospitals who are getting sick and dying and no one, like that was being kept quiet within the facilities. So people like didn't know that their relatives were dying. They couldn't reach people. You know, you I'm know. just so glad we live in a country where like if an official did that, they'd be taken to task for it. They would, there would be justice. Well, I mean, I don't think you're going to see any justice in China, so it's not really. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm so glad we're in. Uh, so anyway. like, you know, the, the, the Communist Party obviously likes to talk about protecting the vulnerable when they're what they're really doing is letting the the weak and the sick die off i i don't think they meant to no because i think that they like it would be better for the propaganda if people didn't die right because this is the thing that's undermining people in shanghai their belief that this is the best way right you know but uh that is essentially the system that they've created and the way that accountability works in that system is that you try to hide the bad stuff that's happening as much as possible. Well, because it is like a nightmare bureaucracy. It's it's like that movie Brazil. Like, it's not like all of these like horrible things that happened are like specifically planned. Although the party certainly does have many like intentional kills under its belt. Uh, it's it's just like some decision is made, and there's this whole bureaucratic process, and then like people suffer like the woman who got stuck on a bridge between two cities that shut yeah down. i mean you there were phone calls that were leaked of people at the shanghai cdc talking about how frustrated they were and like calling this a whole political thing and it's not about people's health you know you had low level uh officials like people who are in charge of neighborhood committees or something like that crying on the phone because they couldn't they there's nobody that could call there's like they're responsible at the very basic level, like at the neighborhood level for implementing some of these things or trying to get food to people on the stuff and they can't reach anybody. You know, there's uh, the literally the emergency numbers in Shanghai. Nobody was answering the phone. I mean, this was this is not happening for a month, but there were days where nobody was answering the phone. So no, if you had like 911, you're calling 911 and nobody answers. Like, Pretty crazy. Yeah. So that's the situation. So I think a lot of people's confidence in the party was definitely shattered. And then when the party pushes the propaganda, that's like, we're protecting people who are vulnerable, then that makes people even it, more angry, right? Well, this this is like a fundamental issue with like the idea of like, you know, uh, sort of like a free society versus like socialism and communism. Like the party portrays itself as like super capable, that it can handle all of society, when it obviously can't. 
versus, you know, just like letting people actually govern themselves. Like there's right. an appeal to have like, ah, the, the, you know, the smart people, the experts, they're going to handle everything so much better than like just trusting, you know, Joe Blow down the street who's an idiot. Well, I think that's, that is the mistake that a lot of people make with the Communist Party. They only see the propaganda and they're like, oh, you know, China's led by engineers and technocrats and people who... A meritocracy. Like, yes, they're, they're going to... And it's because you don't see the stories. They've so well stopped any of that news from getting out. But right. things like Shanghai, it makes it easier to see. Yeah, and, and even even very capable people can be subject to the whims of politics uh, or they can just make stupid mistakes. And, and politics in right. China is the most important thing. Like right. the political uh, decrees by the Chinese Communist Party, those are the things that have to be followed. So a lot of the more ridiculous things that happened in Shanghai actually happened after Vice Premier Sun Chunlan, who's been in charge, quote unquote, of China's COVID lockdowns. Like she is the one that always comes. Xi Jinping's not going to come to Shanghai and inspect the lockdown, right? Uh, he doesn't want to get COVID. Uh, so they send Sun Chunlan around to, and wherever she goes, harsher lockdowns follow because that is the policy, right? So she goes around saying like, you need to lock down harder. And then you have ridiculous things like... Um, them putting up all these green fences everywhere in front of buildings, in front of people's doors. Have you seen this? Like Green fences? What is that? They're, they're, they're colored they, green. So that, they're fences. So they block uh -huh. COVID. <laughs> it's like, fencing. I believe it. It's fencing that's green. And they're just like fencing off streets, fencing off people's doorways. Like, and it's not clear what the fencing is supposed to do. People were already locked down, it, right? It doesn't matter what it's for. Uh, they're doing something, Shelley. There are reports yeah. that like people in districts that where people were testing negative, people were being moved out of their apartment buildings so they could disinfect, quote unquote, the apartment buildings. Some people were moved to different provinces. And like people are like, why is this happening? No, Nobody knows why this is the policy, right? And they're spreading lime powder in the streets. Like it just, it's just all this stuff that's for show to like show that they're they're doing it harder now, right? Like they're they're following the policy. I saw this video of like this this old lady who who got back from a quarantine camp and she goes inside. She she's welcomed back inside her apartment complex. And like a guy just like holds up a disinfectant thing and like sprays her full blast in the face. That's and not how it works. Yeah, I, I you know, I, my my theory about this whole COVID thing is it's like the top leadership of the Communist Party uh, wants to implement zero COVID, not because they think it's the best overall policy, but because I actually think that that the leadership is scared of getting COVID themselves. Like, you know, a lot of a lot of disasters, they, they really don't affect the elite, but a, a disease that can spread presumably through the air is the scariest thing because it kind of affects everyone equally, no matter what your status or wealth is. And so uh, because of that terror that, uh, oh, we who are supposed to be insulated from all the things that other the, the poor people go through, like we could get this too. And so they're much, they're, they're just so terrified of it that they're, they're implementing these insane policies. And I think for that almost like weirdly selfish reason is why we're seeing 
China's whole zero COVID thing. I mean, I believe that Xi Jinping is afraid of getting COVID. He's not left the country in two years. But I think also- Now's the time. (laughs) I think- Go to to a country that's been past COVID, Xi Jinping. uh, Come to America. Um, maybe Chris, you can finally get your interview with oh, you. Yeah. yeah. But no, what I was going to say is, I think another reason though, is because the system is set up for something like zero COVID. Right. Right. The system is set up for a top down, like control of people, uh, of movement of like, th- that's, you know, you have the neighborhood committees who are already there. They weren't set up for COVID control. Right. Hmm. Um, you've had neighborhood committees since the time of Mao, they were just there to, uh, you know, be the report, eyes and ears of the yeah, to report on people and make sure that everybody's studying the little red book and nobody's having counter-revolutionary thoughts. Um, I mean, about a dozen years ago, they started this grid management system of the city. So it's it's always it's like this the the bureaucracy is set up for this. It is set up to be able to control people's movement. They had the QR codes, you're the health codes, which is not like a vaccine passport. It doesn't show you whether it it shows you. A, a red, yellow, or green. And if you're red, you can't leave. Mm-hmm. Like if you're yellow, your movement is restricted to certain places. You can't go inside certain stores or whatever. If you're green, you can go places. So it is movement restriction. It is not, right. you so, know, so, so since, since they have the tool to control everything, they might as well use that tool. Like they just see that. Whereas another country, like, you know, a lot of African countries are like, yeah, we don't have the resources to do any of this. So we're just going to kind of let it run its course. And that comes with its own problems too. But um, like, I'm just talking about the difference in mentality. Like when you don't have the tools to try to control everything, you just don't try to control everything. And then at least you don't get the problems that come with excessive amounts of control. When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I could have just said that. I do also think that there's an interesting part of this, that, which is the economic part of the COVID control. Oh, uh-huh. Because, you know, think about all that. You've seen the people, all the pandemic workers wearing like the full body PPE suits, right? Yeah. In China, they call those people dabe, like the big whites. Because mm-hmm. uh, everybody's just like wearing those white suits. Like they manufactured those suits. That adds to the GDP. They're manufacturing, they're testing, Uh, you know, tens of millions of people, like all of the making swabs, making tests, running tests, that all adds to the GDP. Uh, Like they've built this little COVID economy almost out of everything that goes into like maintaining this type of uh, zero COVID system. And Mm -hmm. an interesting thing is, you know who the people are inside those white suits i do because you told me oh yeah well i don't know shelly who are they they're migrant workers they're not health they're not nurses and doctors you know they're not police like at first i thought that a lot of the people doing the kind of some of the security work were police officers or something like that and the people who are testing people had some kind of like health qualifications but no, the majority of the people in these, these I mean, if you do have some doctors and nurses and things like that, but the majority of people testing people, um, enforcing all these COVID policies, disinfecting, et cetera, they're all working at the quarantine camps. They're all migrant workers. Yeah, well, because they're uh, poor and they have no power. So if they get sick, like no big deal, right? They, well, there's no, 
say like the factories are shut, right? Um, there's no, they, they maybe used to do sales, like, like door to door sales, or, uh, you used to, uh, do construction or all of that's shut down. You don't have any choice. You'd be like a delivery driver, a pandemic worker or something like that. It's the new COVID economy, like you're saying. Yeah. So you have all of these migrant workers going around. Essentially, they're the ones that have to enforce the policies. And uh, if they get sick, they get quarantined in their own migrant worker camps. People were posting some of the videos of the camps, like literally people in tents out on the street because the dorm was supposed to be disinfected or something like that. People in container. Like it just... It's like China's one one big, like, what was that? The prison experiment? Mm-hmm. Oh. The Stanford prison experiment? Yeah, that's the one. It's like, that. that's what China is. Yeah, the whole thing is just mind-blowing. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the economics of this lockdown has been insane. Besides, like, the, the global effect this is going to have with, you know, the world's largest shipping container port being in Shanghai. And that's, you know, even though they're keeping that operating, like the fact that uh, the transportation to the port has been basically cut off. You know, this is going to have a huge global repercussion. But also, like, you know, China, China's central bank is, you know, back at manipulating its currency again to deal with the economic slowdown of this. Uh, you know, they need, because industry has been so affected, they need cheap energy, so they're gonna they're they they've announced they're gonna be you know pushing coal more. So you know going back to that green energy thing, like the 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 ripple effect of this is gonna be tremendous. Oh yeah, I mean I don't think we're gonna see the shipping. I don't think we're gonna see the shipping effects here for a couple of months, mm-hmm. but then we're gonna start seeing what happened last summer, right? If mm-hmm. only. Americans had used the first two years of COVID to pull out of China and disconnect from that segment of the economy. Well, it's not that easy. I know, but two years is enough time to make substantial progress. And we didn't do it. We didn't even try. Think about how much the US economy changed almost overnight for World War II, the wartime economy. So it is possible to make vast economic changes quickly. There just needs to be the will to do it. I mean, right. we did make some changes like, oh, like look at all these um, companies can, that can now make masks in China, uh, in the US, right? But aren't those all going out of business because of cheap Chinese masks well, all over Well, that's again? the thing. Like, did we learn our lesson about that part of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did not learn. And then you have, you know, a small number of gatekeepers. Like, for example, if, if Amazon had decided, you know what, we're going to stop offering Chinese products for sale on our platform, right? That would fundamentally change the game for everything. And if you and if you could have a few big retailers like Amazon and I don't know, whatever the next, you know, three or four big competitors are, Walmart is probably up there. And just like, like you could change things fundamentally and you'd give a huge boost to American manufacturing as well. But like there, there's just... There's no political pressure for them to do that. The media is not pressuring them. Certainly the Washington Post is not going to encourage big companies to stop. I mean, I just, I don't know if that's the first step. It's, it's no, but it's a step and you have to, ha- it's a critical step because if, if, if during World War II, uh, American companies continued to support the Nazis, I mean, there were a lot of them that, that had IBM and, and whatnot. But like, there's a certain point at which 
there was enough pressure that companies were like, okay, we're not going to be involved in this anymore. Then like it does make change and we should have been there. It, it should have happened and, and not, not because, oh, the communist party is terrible, but just because it's, it should be clear that economically it's a bad idea to be connected. I don't think that's clear to people at all. Well, so this ties into a topic I wanted to bring up today that, that uh, you know, everything does kind of depend on the messaging to Americans about China. And, uh, you know, this week, the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, was on 60 Minutes. And, you know, I think he has done a very good job over the years of like specifically trying to tell the American people that, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, and he specifically singles out the Chinese Communist Party, not just China is, you know, a, a huge threat to um, to the U.S. We can, we can play a little segment of that clip. The biggest threat we face as a country from a counterintelligence perspective is from the People's Republic of China and especially the Chinese Communist Party. No country presents a broader, more severe threat to our ideas, our innovation, our economic security than China. Uh, and they are targeting our innovation, our trade secrets, our intellectual property uh, on a scale that's unprecedented in history. They are, have a bigger hacking program than that of every other major nation combined. They have stolen more of Americans' personal and corporate data than every nation combined. And so, yeah, I think this 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 kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, about uh, there needs to be the U.S. government and all of its various branches needs to be messaging to the American people to let them know that this is a problem. Because otherwise, you know, pe people might not know, especially with Elon Musk strangling the life out of Twitter now. Well, I think it can't just be the U.S. government, right? No, it needs yeah. to be brave YouTubers. <laughs> yes, well, we're no, going to turn it, the tide. It should, it should be the media in general that kind of understand it because it really – and it really shouldn't matter what your view on U.S. political issues is. Like there's there's lots of reasons to not to, – to, to, to pull manufacturing and that economic relationship out of China. You know, the, the least of which is what we talked about, which is China's massive – uh, pollution and being powered by a coal grid, which is putting so much carbon into the atmosphere that if you're concerned about man-made climate change, like why on earth are you buying stuff that's manufactured in China? I'd prefer if you use the term woman-made climate change, be a little more inclusive, person inclusive. Uh, uh, un unbelievable, Chris. I'm trying to make my conversations more like Twitter. I hate you. <laughs> hey, there, there, job. there we go. It's, it's just like Twitter. Uh, but I do think that, uh, you know, the the media is a big, you know, problem in terms of they didn't – they don't really want to talk about this. Wall Street's another big problem. There was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal recently about Wall Street's Shanghai problem because Shanghai is a huge business sector in China, yeah. right? So suddenly you have people who – work in finance, like Americans who work in finance in Shanghai being like, oh, oh, I have to be locked in my apartment for six weeks? Like what's happening? You know? Well, that goes back to, you know, the, the, the people who don't really feel the mm -hmm. Communist Party's persecution are feeling it. Yeah. So there's been some talk about expats leaving China. Um, actually, that might be backed up because people are talking about, you know, like international schools, all the teachers are going like it, it 
you could see like a big move out of China. Um, there's also talk of Chinese people leaving. But, you know, it's kind of like the going to Canada thing. Yeah. Some people are going to say it and not, not just do. go. Well, yeah. I think there is reason to be hopeful. Uh, like recently there was a new poll by, I believe, Morning Consult uh, that showed that the majority of Americans across party lines uh, are supportive of like trade tariffs on China and that uh, the majority of Americans would vote for a politician who would continue these kind of tough on China policies. It wasn't just, it was like 70% plus. Yeah, yeah, it was a big majority. And like roughly those numbers uh, for Republican, Democrat, Independent. And so this really is the result of, I think, successful messaging to the American people. Let them know like, oh, this is this is a problem. Because the problem had been going on for decades, but now people finally are catching on. Yeah, I mean, I also think that you know, the Chinese Communist Party's actions have helped in the yes. last two years. And I yeah. think that that China Uncensored and China Unscripted have really led the way. I think so, too. Sure. So thank you for watching this episode of China Unscripted. Once again, I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganesha. And we'll, we'll talk to you next time.